You're listening to sermon audio from River City Church in Fargo, North Dakota. River City Church exists to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. You can find out more about River City by visiting our website at www.rivercityfargo.org. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, in your infinite wisdom and goodness, you can take what is designed as a, as a torture device, a method of death, and turn it to glory. We boast in the cross of Christ because in it we f- have found our salvation. We find freedom. We find life from death. Thank you that you are a God who takes broken things and makes them new, that you bring beauty from ashes and life from death. And we pray this morning as we come to your word that you would do exactly that, that you would breathe life into your people through your word. We love you. Would you cause our hearts to continue in worship as we open your word? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. You can have a seat. Good morning, River City. I'll take that as a good morning. It's fine. Uh, Let me start by saying I'm so grateful to be here and to be on a team that God is building here among us uh, with Pastor Devin and Marty this last week who so faithfully opened God's Word to teach us over these last number of weeks. Um, Our hope to start the year is to highlight uh, some things, some areas of growth for us as a church, some some things that are important as we're, as we're moving forward, the equipping of our minds with the truth of God's Word, uh, hiding God's Word down deep in our hearts, as Psalm 119 says, in the discipline of meditation and the memorization of Scripture. And today, letting God's Word call us a little to follow Jesus on mission together as a local church. And I got to say, the closer we've come to this morning, the more amped up I've become So I've tried to limit my coffee intake this morning so as to not really freak out the 9 a.m. service and save a little for 11, but I'm really excited to be here uh, this morning with you. And so um, if I can lovingly say, buckle up and let's get started. So turn your Bibles, if you have them, to Luke chapter 9. If you don't have a Bible, you know, slip your hand up. Someone from our strike team would love to put one in your hands. If you do not own a Bible, please take one of these with you. We'd love for you to have it. Luke chapter 9 is where we'll be this morning. <clears throat> Excuse me. Next week, we'll start back in our study in Luke's Gospel. Um, every spring, the last couple of years, we've taken a chunk of Luke's Gospel and kind of slow walked through it. So starting next week, we're going to be, I think, in Luke chapter 11. And I think, uh, Lord willing, we'll get through Luke chapter 15 by the time we hit summer. Um, but today, we're in Luke chapter 9. Luke's Gospel chapter 9. And we're going to start in verse 57 and read through the end of the chapter, which is verse 62. It'll be on the screen as well. Uh, I'll read it here if you want to follow along. This is God's word for us this morning in Luke chapter 9, starting in verse 57. As they were going along the road, someone said to him, this is speaking to Jesus, someone said to him, I will follow you wherever you go. And Jesus said to him, foxes have holes and 
Birds of the air have nests, but the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. To another he said, follow me. But he said, Lord, let me go first, first go and bury my father. And Jesus said to him, leave the dead to bury their own dead. But as for you, go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Yet another said, I will follow you, Lord, but first, let me first say farewell to those at my home. Jesus said to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. This is God's word for us this morning that we're going to unpack together. Now, this section of Luke's gospel records a couple of interactions between Jesus and some would-be disciples. Now, by this time in Jesus' ministry, many things had already happened. Those closest to Jesus have heard him say and seen him do some pretty remarkable things. And because word about Jesus had spread, pretty much everywhere he went, crowds would gather. People were interested, whether it was because they were intrigued, because they had personally been affected or touched by something he said or did, or they were just intrigued because they heard this guy was stirring the pot with the religious elite, and I kind of like that. Whatever the case might be, people were interested and curious, and so crowds gathered around and followed him around. And part of what Luke is capturing in this account are the challenges, or more strongly, some excuses that have risen up that actually prevent someone from following Jesus, not just from a distance as one of the crowd, but following him full on. If we were to ask the question, what are the things that keep someone from following Jesus on his mission? We might get an array of answers. And I'm going to let that question percolate in your minds a little bit as we look at the text this morning. What are the things that keep us from following Jesus on his mission? Note the emphasis there on his mission. And what I pray we'll be able to take from this passage for us individually and for us as a local church together is this, that we have been called by Jesus to follow him. He has called us to follow him. And we are committing to follow him together, not just one-on-one, but together, embracing his mission as our mission. Let me say that again. We have been called by Jesus to follow him, and we have committed to following him together, embracing his mission as our mission. Now I've got three kind of big ideas or points for today, two that come from the text and one that is just primarily application for us. And they break down like this. One is just looking at Jesus' interaction with these would-be disciples. Two, Jesus' invitation, the significance of two very simple words, follow me. And then what it looks like for us following Jesus together. Jesus would be disciples the importance of his two words, follow me, and then the application for us following him together. So to begin, Luke records Jesus' interactions with three people. Uh, it's Pastor John Piper who I read kind of coined that term for this text, would-be disciples, and I stole it because I think it's a good phrase. Three people whose lives intersect with Jesus here. Luke uh, records in verse 57, as they were going along the road... See, Jesus and his disciples were on the way to Jerusalem. And we'll get to why that's significant more in a minute. But as they were going, Jesus has these three interactions. 
The first one, someone makes their way to Jesus and says, I will follow you wherever you go. This person took the initiative. And that sounds great, right? He's eager. He's willing. In Matthew's gospel account of this same interaction of Jesus and these would-be disciples uh, actually gives a little more detail to this first would-be disciple and tells us that this man was a scribe. Now, scribes were men who, who knew the Old Testament law and could interpret it and give commentary on it in the legal documents they would write. Get it? Scribe, like they literally wrote legal opinions and documents. And they often are found in the, in the Gospels arguing with Jesus over the finer points of the, the law and how it's applied. But this scribe, who was very likely familiar with God's law, had heard enough about Jesus and had probably seen enough about what he had done. And this guy volunteered. I will go with you, he says. Jesus has his first kind of heart-engaging, kind of hard thing to say to this would-be disciple. Verse 58, he says, Foxes have holes and birds of the air have nests. Almost as if he's speaking in riddles. The fox and the bird, after a day of frolicking or whatever foxes and birds do all day, they go home to a little hole next to a tree or to a nest, right? For rest and security. But Jesus goes on. They have a place to go, but the Son of Man, speaking of himself and those who follow him, he goes, the Son of Man has nowhere to lay his head. Jesus, knowing this man's heart, asks him a legitimate question. Have you counted the cost? Have you thought about what it might actually look like if you say you want to follow me? Do you know this road that I'm walking? Well, it's not that you'll never have a comfortable bed or a warm place to sleep, but Jesus is raising a holy caution that the road he's walking, the life of one of his disciples is often challenging and often uncomfortable. Being a disciple of Jesus is not a glamorous life. Despite the crowds and all the commotion that surround him, Jesus is cautioning him, if you're following me because, man, it looks like we got a thing going on here, I just have to warn you, it ain't all what you think it might be. Verse 59, Jesus then turns to another man, and rather than waiting for him to speak up, Jesus looks at him and asks him, invites him, follow me. Hey, you, come with me. And this response is far less eager than the first man, isn't it? Lord, let me first go and bury my father. Now, some commentaries argue that this man's father had died, and while he might be interested in following Jesus further down the road, he had just too much work to do uh, left in preparing for his burial and settling of the estate and I mean, if you've ever had to process through the end of someone else's life of a beloved a family member or, or close friend, you know how overwhelming that can be. And so you can say, oh, yeah, I relate. There's a, there's a lot that goes into that. Now, some other commentators argue that if this guy's father had already died, he'd probably be busy enough that he wouldn't be following around a homeless Jewish teacher. And so why would he be there at all if, his, if he was really in the middle of settling his father's estate? So they think maybe his father wasn't yet dead, like dead, sorry, dead yet, 
but was maybe sick or maybe was just old and he realized his responsibility as the, maybe the oldest in the home. And so he's, he's putting his responsibilities that would eventually come ahead of the call to follow Jesus. Now, the reality is we don't know who this man was or if his father was dead or not yet. He says he has to go bury his father, so I guess I'm willing at this point to take him at his word, but I'm not sure it really matters. You see, burial responsibilities are a big deal in historic Jewish law and tradition. It's a big deal that this is done properly and with honor and purpose. There's, there's tradition and ritual that goes into it. And I don't think Jesus is disregarding the responsibilities of this son to, to bury his father, to honor his father, to likely care for his mother to properly and honorably fulfill the spiritual and religious duties that come with death and burial. I don't think Jesus is diminishing any of those things. He's not saying those things don't matter. Rather, Jesus, knowing the man's heart, when he says, leave the dead to bury their own dead, he is saying that the call, instead to go and proclaim the kingdom of God, as verse 60 continues, is of significantly greater value than every other responsibility in his life. He's not saying it's not important. He's just saying the call to go and proclaim the kingdom of God is that much more significant. The late pastor and theologian R.C. Sproul says it this way, Surely Jesus did not despise that tradition. For Jesus to call somebody not to go home and bury their father would require a calling so high and so holy and so important that it would make the burial of one's own father pale in significance. See, Jesus is not saying that it's wrong to pause the work you're doing, even ministry, to return home to fulfill responsibilities of various kinds. He's not saying that. But rather, Jesus is reminding this second would-be disciple that the mission to which he's been invited and called reshapes and reprioritizes everything else in his life. Everything. That's the second, verse 61. Yet another man, another says, I will follow you, Lord, but first let me say farewell to those at my home. This guy is the clever one. Right? He's what our brothers and sisters across, across the pond uh, might call a cheeky fellow. Can you picture the crowd, right? The, they're, they're all gathered around, and this third would-be disciple, listening in on all that's happened in the verses previous, hears the first guy get pushed back to, to uh, like, not counting the cost. Well, that guy didn't really think it through. He just spoke up. I don't want to do that. And the second guy gets asked and has a really good excuse, but Jesus pushes back on that as well having his priorities out of whack. And so guy three, probably like me, is looking for an angle. And he goes, I'll, I'll follow you. And because I know the costs, let, let me go home and, and let, my, let my folks know that I'll be gone for a while. Let me just go say goodbye. And Jesus says to this man what might be the most challenging statement of this whole passage in verse 62. Jesus looks at him and says to him, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for the kingdom of God. That one smarts a little. And here's why. 
Because this man's response to Jesus sounds like wisdom. Doesn't it? I mean, as a parent, I would prefer that my son or daughter come home and tell me that they're planning to spend their life following a homeless man around Galilee. I would rather them tell me this so I could talk them out of it. Right? As a parent? See, this would-be disciple is essentially saying, I'll follow you, Jesus, but not today. Maybe tomorrow. I have other matters to attend to. I would like to follow Jesus with my whole heart. I would like to offer him my whole life to be fully devoted with all that I am, my mind and my soul and my strength, but I'm not quite there yet. I have a full list of priorities, and it's on there just with a few other things. And this phrase, with the plow, there probably aren't many of us who have plowed a field like this by hand. Or a version of it. This is a photo of two women using a hand plow or a high-wheeled cultivator. And even this is pretty modern by biblical standards. And we don't use these, right? We have tractors with GPS that essentially do it for us. Cultivate and plow and plant and harvest. We do stuff. This is not a diss to farmers. I'm just saying this is pretty uh, old on the technology end, right? But how many of you have mowed a lawn by a show of hands? Or used a snowblower, right? Probably more recently than mowing a lawn. Anyone really hopeful to like mow a lawn soon? I don't love mowing, but I'm like, oh man, I'd give a whole lot to mow a lawn right now. Right? Because that means, you know, grass and summer and not this. Right? My, my dad actually really loved mowing the lawn. I never understood that as a teenager. I get it a little bit now as a dad. The peace and quiet of like mastering your lawn. No one else? Like, I am the master of this domain. He used to love mowing the lawn. And as a teenager, I didn't love it, but he loved it. And, and, but he would, like, welcome me into that and, like, try to teach me, here's how you need to mow this, the lawn. He was very intentional about how to teach me to do it right. How to mow the lawn right. You know, be careful around trees because you get to that angle of the blade up just a little bit as you get to the, the base of the tree, and that blade will cut into the grass a little bit. You don't want that. So be careful and get close to the edge, but be careful not to get into the rocks where your mother has flowers because one, there's flowers, and two, rocks and lawnmowers don't get along very well. Like, very intentional about what it should look like and the height and, if, you know, this part you rake and this part you leave and all that. One lawn mowing lesson I remember clear as day. My dad told me after running the lawnmower back and forth across the lawn a few times, don't look down, he said. Don't look down. I was fixated on like the back two wheels, just trying to keep it straight. And then when I got to the end and I looked back, I realized, no, I had left these weird chunks where there was just tall grass standing up between where the wheels were. Because if you look down or you're constantly looking back behind you to see if you're straight, you'll, you will inevitably pull the mower in the direction you turn your head. Lawn mowing 101. There's a freebie today right? Instead, what do you do? You look to where you're going and push the mower to that spot, and when you turn around and look at the end, more often than not, you've mowed a fairly straight line, right? You travel in the direction of your eyes. 
It's especially important if you're blowing snow and you can't even see the sidewalk, which is most of the time, which is why you're blowing snow, right? It's how it works with a lawnmower to get the whole lawn without these strange pockets of grass that are overlooked. It's how it works driving a plow to till a straight line. Jesus is saying, once you begin, don't turn your eyes away from that goal. In this case, Jesus is saying, if I've called you to be my disciple, to join me on mission, if we're going to keep going, focused on that goal until the end, we don't look back. And here's why I appreciate that term, would-be disciple. And maybe appreciate's not the right word. Why it strikes me. Because we're not told what happened. We know nothing else about these three would-be disciples. Did the scribe shrink back after Jesus kind of smacked him down to reevaluate his excitement? Did the, did the second man return and bury his father and then try to find Jesus again? Did the third man go back home and forget his encounter with Jesus and the almost joining of Jesus' fellowship? We have no idea. These men were in the vicinity of the Son of God. These men were invited into his circle, and they quite possibly missed it. Now, I don't want to be a would-be disciple. I don't want to remain just in the crowd. I want to be an actual disciple, and that's what I want for us as well, for you as well. You see, Jesus is exposing their underlying desires, their fears, what they treasure most. What are the things that they're unwilling to give up? What are the things that they are idolizing? What attachments do they have that even though they might be honorable and good things, those things would ultimately keep them from surrendering and following Jesus? And more than that, more than just the story of these three would-be disciples, what about you? Where are you finding yourself in these conversations that Jesus is having with these people? What things do you treasure? What level of comfort or priorities or goals or fears are serving as idols that would steal worship and devotion that would otherwise go to Jesus? Because Jesus is setting the pace. Jesus is setting the direction. And Jesus calls us not to set our own and ask him to bless it, but to follow where he is leading. Which leads us to our second point this morning. The two simple words that Jesus offers. Follow me. We're going to look at it with the emphasis on each syllable. And we're going to start with me. Follow me. If I can emphasize it that way. Jesus is inviting these would-be disciples to treasure him and find him as all-satisfying. He says things like, I am the bread of life. I am the well which from within springs up living water. I am the doorway to the promised pastures of eternal peace. I am the way to the Father, Jesus says. I am the truth, Jesus says. I am life everlasting. Jesus, when he says, follow me, he's saying, follow all that I am. Follow me. And for us, on this side of the cross, on this side of an empty tomb, we believe and proclaim that it is Jesus who's come to us. He has invited us. He has died for us. He has risen again, conquering death, so that even though we face death, we don't have to fear death anymore. 
And it is Jesus who said that in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, for I have overcome the world. And he will never leave us and never forsake us. This is the one who has invited you to follow him. You see, we are not disciples of an idea. We are not disciples of an organization or a building or a set of principles or a church. We are disciples of a God-man whose name is Jesus, who is our Savior and our King. And let's not get that out of perspective. Jesus invites us to follow Him. Now, for someone listening this morning who isn't yet following Jesus, let me just speak to you for a moment that this is a call that we read here in Luke, a call to set aside all other things that steal your attention, all other things that, that take your affections, all other things that attempt to tell you who you are, who set themselves up as the primary shapers of your identity. And Jesus is inviting you, even this morning, through this text, to lay that down and to follow him. And then everything else in your life, though not easy, begins to be conformed around this new identity as a disciple of Jesus. And for those of you who have been following Jesus for a while, we just need to admit, admit that we are collectors of stuff. We, we fill our time and our priority lists with so many things. And so Christ, while still our treasure, is somewhere in the room, on a shelf, on the list. And Luke 9 is an invitation wooing us to ask if Jesus is our highest treasure, our greatest delight. It's simple, but it's not easy when Jesus says, follow me, because it means daily laying down our lives and our priorities and taking up his. And it's by his grace and the Holy Spirit working in each disciple of Jesus that is shaping us and changing us and empowering us to love and follow him. So Jesus is saying, follow me. The other way to emphasize this invitation is in the word follow. Follow me. Which implies Jesus is going somewhere. Right? He's not saying, let's just hang out. He is going somewhere. He has purpose. He's inviting us to move in the direction he is going. In this passage in Luke 9, if you read a little earlier in this section... Jesus has his face set on Jerusalem. It comes up more than once in Luke chapter 9. And in fact, uh, Luke tells us that the Samaritans, this village he was in, who, who by and large in the ministry of Jesus love that Jesus is willing to, to meet with them, to honor them, to respect them as a Jewish man, to minister and care for them as Samaritans. He doesn't treat them with disdain as so many others do. Instead, he treats them with compassion and, and love. But now, they're upset with him. They're mad at Jesus because his focus is now on Jerusalem. In the verses just before this passage, Luke records that the Samaritans in this particular village are upset with Jesus because his face was set towards Jerusalem. They felt he was looking past them. That their priorities weren't endorsed by him. 
that his priorities were different. And here's a bit of a takeaway. We don't have time to unpack all of that, but here's one little takeaway from that for us. Jesus is not required to apologize for his mission. And he is not required to conform his purposes to our desires. Jesus is going to Jerusalem to bear the sins of the world. (laughs) He's going to Jerusalem to die for your sin and mine. And he's going to Jerusalem to deal a mortal wound to Satan, sin, and death. So yeah, he's a little focused on that task. What right do I have to tell the sovereign king who by his mouth spoke all things into existence, you know, Jesus, I have a few questions about your strategy here, Lord, if you'd be so kind. No, see, gracious Jesus is saying, I'm doing something. I'm doing something, and I want you to come with me. And Luke even tells us a little later in real specific terms what Jesus was up to. Luke chapter 19, verse 10, for the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. It's the theme for the entire gospel of Luke. Why did you come, Jesus? To seek and save the lost. There is no question about Jesus' intentions. And he's invited us to go where he's going. And he has shown us that he is worth following no matter the cost. Which leads me to our third and final point this morning. What do we take from this? What does it look like for us as a local church following Jesus together? Our stated mission as a a local church is this. We exist as a local church to make disciples of Jesus who make disciples of Jesus through the gospel of Jesus. This comes from Jesus' own words where he commissions his disciples. It's recorded in Matthew 28 when he says this. Jesus says, all authority on heaven and earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything that I've commanded you. See, it was Jesus' mission to seek and save the lost. And then, and then, he calls us and commissions those he has saved and rescued, that's you and me, to take up this mission, to proclaim this message, and to invite others to follow Jesus with us. Hey, this guy has done something. He's invited us. Do you want to come along? His mission is our mission. So for us, the, the vision, if you will, the, what we're aiming at in order to accomplish this mission, we've written it out like this. We desire, as a local church, to bring the redeeming power of Jesus to the people and culture around us. We live here, right? Contending for, which is holding fast to, and contextualizing, bringing that truth to bear in place. Contending for and contextualizing the gospel. We desire to be known as a local church that seeks the welfare of the city. We live here and desire God's glory to be seen through us here. And we desire to birth a movement of reproducing disciples and by extension, reproducing churches. This is what we're after. Our eyes fixed on Jesus and our faces set to multiply disciples and multiply churches. And the reason we are aiming at church planting and reproducing churches is because this is the model we see all through the New Testament as the most effective, spirit-dependent way to engage lost people and invite them into a life of following Jesus. 
And we believe that reproducing churches come from churches who are reproducing disciples. One of Pastor Devin's favorite words, I don't know if I should, if it is your, one of your favorite words, but multiplicative, right? It multiplies. And if we want to re-engage as a church in the big picture work of reproducing churches, that is church planting, we start here by re-engaging in the continued work and the commitment to slow growth discipleship. See, for the past number of years, we have been on a bit of a long road. Some of you have been a part of River City for many years. Some of you from the very beginning. And many of you have begun to come to River City more recently. Some in the midst of a pandemic. Hallelujah. We're glad you're here. And we are overwhelmed and absolutely thrilled that you are all here with us I talked about this at our covenant member meeting just a few months ago. Um, If you were there and remember, and if not, that's okay, I'll recap. We had a lot of momentum we felt as a local church moving into 2020, right? We were seeing real encouraging growth in some areas. And then March, dreaded March, COVID hit, right? Sucked the life figuratively and in some cases, very quite literally, out of many people and many things. And even in the midst of that, in the midst of that turmoil and struggle, by God's grace, people heard the gospel and were baptized and welcomed as new members into this church family and are being trained right now as community group leaders. And as we've prayed and sought the Lord as elders, as we've continued to gather as a church like this, as we've continued to build healthy relationships and grow in community, I'm convinced that while the storms still rage in many places and in many ways, it is time again for us to step out of our place in the crowd and re-engage on mission with Jesus. And here's what I mean. I'm going to take a sip. Hold on. If we're going to position ourselves to plant more churches, that means that we're going to send out moms and dads and kids who are excited to share the gospel in their workplaces and classrooms and neighborhoods and invite others to come and follow Jesus with them. It means we're going to send out whole community groups of people who are hospitable and welcoming and ready with an open chair at the table to welcome in a neighbor or a stranger. It means that we're going to send out servants who do things like set up chairs and make coffee and help teach children so that someone coming to visit a new community of followers of Jesus is welcomed at the door, is asked a little bit about their story, is offered a seat and and a warm cup of coffee who's encouraged as their kids are taught about Jesus side by side with their parents and who's invited, hey, why don't you come to our house on Mondays? We have food. So for us, River City, we want to step out of the crowd and get into step with Jesus. And so if River City is your church home, whether you're a member or not, I want to challenge you to consider that God has placed you here on purpose. You are not here by accident. You're here in this community with all these lovely people sitting around you and ask you, what might God be calling you to step into? Practically, it means we're challenging you to consider what 
What is God calling you to do with your time? Is there a place, even here at River City? Could, could, you help, could I help out in a kid's classroom or in the nursery? Could I come early and help get things set up? Could I be trained in how to run sound? Or, or am I merely a consumer when we gather on Sundays? What is God calling you to do with your talent? You might not play the bass guitar, but maybe you do, and you just haven't told Kyle yet. But if you, if you do, you should let him know. But you might not. You might be really great with people. And welcoming people is something that comes really easily. Perhaps God wants to use that here. Perhaps there are some people in, in the community group that you attend who would benefit from some intentional spiritual time together. And you could walk with them, sharpening one another as brothers and sisters in Christ do. What is God calling you to do with your talent? Or what is God calling you to do with your treasure? Now, I'm not only talking about money, although it includes money. Do what we who call River City Church home. Do what we own. Does what we own, what God's given us. Do we own the mission of God with the things that God's entrusted us? Because really it's not about ownership. The things that God's given us are things that we just steward. So we can sacrificially and intentionally support the the mission of this local church, the the ministries that we're connected with. There are people doing wonderful, beautiful things on college campuses and with uh, communities here in town that, that need support, time, and treasure, right? And I'm not just talking about the dollars, but everything that we have comes from the Lord, And we are merely stewards of it. Our money, our homes, our families. You could argue we're stewards of our time and talents as well. But God has blessed me and you, not just to keep it, but for us to be a blessing to others. Maybe God's provided a home for you to live in that's not just for you to enjoy, although I do hope that you enjoy it. But that so you might welcome others into it. Maybe hosting a community group. Maybe it just starts with welcoming in a neighbor. If we want to be faithful in moving towards this vision of multiplying churches, we we need to engage here again in multiplying disciples and in pouring ourselves into the work that God has called us to here. And out of that overflow, we believe multiplying churches will come. In Luke chapter 16, Jesus tells a parable of a manager who's dishonest. And this parable serves as a warning, but there's a beautiful little truth that sits right towards the end. Jesus says, One who is faithful in very little is also faithful in much. We desire to be granted the privilege to multiply, to plant more churches, And in order to do that, we want to make sure, as a church, we are being faithful with little. So that, not because he owes us, because he does not, but because he is pleased to work in and through us, he might enable us to be faithful with much. So we're asking you to pray some dangerous prayers along with us. We're asking you to pray to God to give us wisdom and humility and courage as a church to follow God where he is leading us, not for our name to be known, but for his name 
to be known. We're asking God, would you show us, each of us, show me what is my part in serving your people at River City? What are you calling me to step up and own more of the mission and vision of this church of which I am a part? We are asking you to pray along with us, God, who are the people you have sovereignly placed in my life that I might serve them, that I might proclaim the gospel to them, that I might pursue them as would-be disciples of Jesus? And we believe that God will bless us and find us usable in his hands for his glory and for the joy of people all across the city. And that's the last point of application this morning, is this. It's, this is the cheesiest point of application. You should come back at 3.30 today. It may sound cheesy, but I'm, but I'm serious. If River City is where you call home as a local church, maybe you're a member, maybe you're just an attendee, we really do want you to come back this afternoon to our town hall meeting. We're not going to like wow your socks off with a song and dance. But we want to take about 90 minutes or so of your time and celebrate a few really significant milestones over the past year or so. And we want to highlight a couple of really important and exciting things we're looking forward to in 2022 and beyond. And it's going to take all of us praying for and owning this mission together. So please, please prioritize a little extra time this afternoon and come back and join us at 3.30. As Marty said, there will be snacks. If you only come for the snacks, that's fine. Just stick around for the rest. If that's what it takes, great. See, I want to be really clear. I am not saying, we are not saying that River City is cornered the market on what it means to follow Jesus. There are lots of faithful men and women and churches all around our, the Fargo-Moorhead area who are beautifully proclaiming the gospel this morning, who are discipling men and women, who are training up would, uh, not just would-be, but actual disciples and sending them out on mission wherever they live. That is awesome. We don't think that like we've the only ones who figured it out. But here's what we are saying. So we do believe Jesus has called us to make disciples here. And for whatever reason, in his kind sovereignty, he's placed you here. And although there are many things that keep us individually and as a body from following Jesus on his mission, we just are reminded that he's called us to himself to follow him. And we're committing to follow him together. That his mission is our mission. Amen? Amen. Let me pray. Father, we thank you that you are steadfast. When we are so often frantic, you are steady and sure that nothing turns you and draws your gaze away from your purposes, which is all the more striking that you would love us in Christ the way you do that at the right time sent Jesus to die for sinners, to pull us from death to life, to welcome us into your own family, and then to set us on your path. Father, I pray that even now as we come to the table, as we're refreshed and renewed in this time of communion, that you would lift our eyes and refix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And that we would 
see and respond to a fresh welcome to come be near you and to follow you where you are leading us. That you might receive all the glory and the praise with every moment of our lives. Stir unity in us as we share this meal together. That we all partake of one meal that unites us to you, Lord Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen.